Hello, and welcome to the RA Exchange. I'm RA's senior producer, Chloe Lula. Today, I have two special guests on the podcast, Chem Duga, who DJs as Chem, and Nicholas Enlicher, who DJs as 1985. The duo started the hugely popular Berlin-based queer party Herensana, which is known for a specific hard techno sound and now counts Hector Oaks, SPF DJ, Salome, Jazz as residents in 2016. And they inaugurated their eponymous label just before the pandemic. They're also hosting takeovers at clubs internationally, including at Wire Festival New York, which will take place next week in Brooklyn. We touched on a lot of topics over the course of our conversation, including the inception of the party in Neukölln and its astronomical trajectory over the course of the last couple of years. We also discussed how the Heronson mission has changed over time, becoming less of a hub for gay men only. You know, we just touch much more people all over the world and we get such incredibly positive feedback from them from them and we see like the happiness in people's faces and like just the energy that they create their bodies when they dance in in the club and that is exactly how it has always been. It has not changed a single bit. And just to see it like with more and more people just touches you much more like inside because you really you know you realize you're not just playing music like you really manage to bring out a message and like to give people the power to empower themselves because of that i talked to chem and nicholas about the collective's art and aesthetics and how deeply tied to queer collage work practices their visual identity is it was a pretty broad-ranging conversation and i really love talking to them so i hope you enjoy we also took the time to film this in our Berlin office as one of the first in an ongoing series of multimedia podcasts, so be sure to check out snippets from the interview online, including on RA's social media page. Let's dive in. Herensana began as a party in the basement of a Nikon venue in 2016. And I have a lot of friends who were going to your parties right when it started. And I remember them telling me about how it was very sweaty and like very DIY. Can you tell me a little bit about those early days and what the first iterations of the party were like? Can you even remember? <laughs> I'm like, uh, what happened? I'm trying to. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun because now I live right next to that venue. Um, a little bit late but so every time in the morning when i go jogging i pass it and like all these memories come flashing back and it was really just such an such an exciting time like none of us really had any expectations as to what what is going to happen right now actually like none of us believed in in themselves i mean like i remember when i moved to berlin I, like from vienna where i used to dj as i like gave up djing you know because um i was like what am I going to do in a city like Berlin trying to be a DJ? Who am I trying to fool, you know? I'm never going to make it. And then, I don't know, all of a sudden, we just like, this party happened and... Uh, and, and <laughs> We've known each other for a longer time. And uh, I mean, we were obviously inf influenced by a lot of these more smaller um, independent collectives that were around that time, like Cocktail and like Buttons. We always enjoyed going there, mm -hmm. but we always felt like it was this kind of this, this raw energy with the sound missing in smaller spaces. And um, we kind of wanted to bring that energy and the, yeah, I feel like we can create a more comfortable space for us. Which, like, yeah, more comfortable space. <laughs> that's that's how, we, how we describe it now, but it was actually like executed IRL. It was just a... Uh, 
like an industrial courtyard with uh, two wooden pallets that people could sit on <laughs> and a basement with like really loud music <laughs> where you where you couldn't light you couldn't light a cigarette because there was no oxygen in the air there were um there were no well maybe i shouldn't talk about that but <laughs> no emergency exits or anything like that yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, like not necessarily what anyone would think of a comfortable place, but I don't know, the people came together and made it so special. Like the memories are just so warm and so dense and uh, so heated. And so, yeah, even though like everything in terms of what it looks like, also that's what I always see now when I pass it. It's just so raw and so uninviting, but at the same time it turned into the most inviting place in the city. And that's what, like, this memory still lives with everyone that was part of this time. And uh, and I think, you know, it even spreads to people who haven't been there, which is, I don't know, maybe why things are happening the way they are. You mentioned that you already knew each other in Vienna. Um, how did you meet and how, how and when did you decide to move to Berlin? <laughs> Do you want to? <laughs> I was just had this conversation with this therapist. Yeah, he was my first boyfriend. <laughs> first big love. <laughs> first big love. And then we had a bit of a falling out afterwards that didn't end up so well. And then we just re reconciled. You know. We're still uh, working up 10 years of, 10 years of uh, ups and downs. <laughs> no, but it's actually more, I mean... It's actually much more. I was 18 when we met. It was 15 years ago. We influenced each other a lot in different ways. And it's still like, it's still like this constant mutual uh, exchange of ideas. Yeah, yeah. That then like one takes it and brings it to the next level and puts it back onto the table. And then the other one does the same. Kind of like two cats playing with a ball. <laughs> we also always interrupt each other. Cut up the sentences. Or um, complete them. <laughs> <laughs> however you want to see it <laughs> did you start the idea for Heronzana when you were still together did this come about after you'd had a reconciliation after Nicholas moved uh, to Berlin first and we were also closer to another back then friend of ours who mm. offered a space who kind of was like the, the catalyst for it to, for it to happen but then uh yeah, I mean, it was very soon after I moved. Yeah, I mean, you kind of moved because of... You moved because of that. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Because you were still living in Vienna, the first two yeah, parties. You were you still came from Vienna. I, I made that kind of Berlin dream happen. <laughs> Moving to Berlin to become a DJ. I mean, I never thought of it. Unlike me, who moved to Berlin without becoming a DJ. But then, like, you know, the past just uh, took a... I couldn't run from my destiny. <laughs> so the party started as it was really targeted towards queer men. Has that mission changed? And if so, has that been intentional? Yeah. I think that was the biggest lesson around that time. I think like also our friend circle was just more so um, just like gay male energy. But we had also lots of girlfriends that were around these circles the time and who had always been there like they were always there you know and <clears throat> it was always like actually inviting but probably from the outside it seemed so much more like a like a male focused party and i've had a lot of people talk to us about it actually that they think it's so nice that um the perception has changed around it because it's always been 
super inviting for all kinds mm. of identities it was never yeah it was never intended to be a party only for men the name yeah. is just this old-fashioned german word that just exists only in this kind of you know that's just the word but it's it's always been like an ironic joke it's just the uh, the people who thought it was a men only party are simply people who have no sense of humor <laughs> which there are a lot of <laughs> but this particular Gaisano in vienna where we kind of got the name from which was known for its kind of debaucherous action behind closed doors and with yeah it's it's a very like iconic place that's why it was called like that because it was really like a relic from the past and i mean we are from vienna a city that is a relic of the past i consider myself a relic of the past to a certain degree (laughs) already back then and i love to bring back the past change it up and give it a 21st century touch well, I think I mean some of the residents that you've chosen to pull on to the party are testament to the fact that it's not only for gay men. At what point did you start tapping people to join the Harrensana crew and how have you chosen who you want to work with? It happened really organically. First with Hector, he was playing the first party and we already had such a good time with him and he would always come and, and support it just like on his own no one asked him to there was never like even talks about having like was way before you know everything just happened organically kind of just like progressed and then at some point we invited him to play again and then you know because he was anyway such a supporter and then like yeah and also like the way he played changed so much through the party yeah and we just uh thought that was just so exciting because um it just enabled him to be somewhat a bit more free and a bit more raw and a bit more actually daring in in how he played and that was so inspiring for us too so that was a very very organic decision then um i don't even remember when we like asked him suggested to do it it feels so like natural that he yeah exactly because it was just just it was just it at some point it just came into existence um and then down the line who was next I want to talk about all of them yeah i mean that's why they are our residents we love them like our children Salome was a um, was also an artist that we for her birthday once. It was like 2019, I think, together with DJ Saliva, who's my partner, and um, we had a great time with her. And like, we also appreciated her new approach to electro a lot, which was really exciting. See and to see her getting deeper into that was was one of the reasons we thought she could be a great fit because also we wanted to a bit um, not only just do the techno, the heavy techno stuff, but also just her style of music is just really inspiring. Um, And then her DJ sets are just wild. You know, she can jump from genre to genre so quickly and she will always keep a really nice mood and then just keep you up to your toes, like on your toes which is like the most exciting thing about listening to a DJ set nowadays because often maybe it can get very like dull and she never reaches that point, you know, it's great. And then DJ Saliva, who also does the art for us now, also a fantastic DJ. You know, they kind of like became residents without... Without wanting, without <laughs> without even like, you know, it's just like yeah. we grew over them like a fungus. <laughs> We're like... <laughs> So coming back to the platform and the label, 
Um, you started the label in 2017? Yeah, we, um, we had two releases that were just by ourselves that we distributed ourselves and sold at the parties. And then we kind of took a proper approach in the pandem- during the pandemic. It was in 2020 when we released an official various artists record. It was the end of 2020, yeah. And then um, we, yeah, from now on, we're taking a bit more serious approach to it. And <laughs> from, now <on. laughs> from now on, I promise. <laughs> no, but we have some exciting artists coming up and some more uh, various artists. Next one will be by Salome, who's our resident um, with a remix by Jazz. And then um, we have another VA coming up and also a remix album of a band that I've joined recently. It's two friends of mine. Yeah, they're called 33, and it's a pretty cool band. It's like, um, quite on a spectrum of experimental music with some um, classic influences. And um, yeah, the idea was to create remixes that are maybe a bit more club-focused, but also completely out of the box, just noise. <laughs> so like, it's very open, and we're working on now some remixes for that that will also come out this year. I play the guitar, I play the bass guitar. Um, I use electronics too. You both come from the punk scene, right? A bit? Punk influences. I mean, that's, yeah. It's like maybe you're like more the the 60s rock person, whereas I am the... And 70s, yeah. And then... I'm the, I'm from the past. Yeah, <laughs> you're a relic from the past. <laughs> I'm the angry child from the, <laughs> the, the 90s, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I used to um, set up DIY concerts in Vienna, like inviting some cross-punk bands, hardcore punk bands. And yeah, that's sort of my... Heronson has become known for this very specific brand of hard techno, but... From your DJ sets and also from the VAs, it seems like you clearly have this penchant for eclecticism. Do you feel a pressure to continue delivering the hard sound that people are expecting? Or are you going to keep the labels a home for like the the non-hard techno? Um, yeah, I think that's already pretty much the trajectory we're taking. Like... Um, I love this hard sound, of course, and I think it's it's great to keep it alive. But um, I think at the parties, yeah. I mean, I do want the tr- the tracks that we're releasing also to be played, yeah. but it was also a lot of a- lis- listening experiences. But um, I think what we're doing well is now just trying to combine those different styles and still make it very energetic. The idea of what energetic can be. It's like something that we're trying to bend, I think, a bit. Energy itself. Energy itself. I think also you, you can tell the the influences all around, not just with our collectors, but with other techno producers are changing and shifting and it's becoming a bit more open. Like everyone kind of is invited to play whatever they want to. So sticking to the topic of aesthetics, you mentioned that your partner does the artwork. One thing that does really distinguish 
the Herons on a brand to me is its visual identity. You have a very strong visual identity, you know, with your your flyers and your artwork. It departs a lot from the monochromatics I think we've come to expect with a lot of techno. And Mauro seems to be using a lot of like collage work and like layering bleached fabric and metal and wood and sculpture. Um, it, it's quite cool. How did you first start collaborating with them? It's first was... Uh the first record actually so that was um i mean we we had been friends for a while at that point and then um i really wanted to start the label properly and i really loved his artwork at that point and uh different morphous figures and bodies that he was painting at the time or they i mean um (laughs) and um yeah that was pretty much the first insight and then towards the flyers we yeah we just started like experimenting on some flyers and then it worked really well and then we decided to just go all the way with them just made sense i mean they're also like an actual painter and you know have such an interesting um um relationship to uh different textures and that's what i love also and combining those textures and and our artwork was then very important we've been you know especially during the pandemic we've been hanging out so much like we were just basically like hanging out constantly at like my house (laughs) and painting like like the three of us but then also like like our friend circle and we just like you know stayed awake for days and painted and um and like cut about clothes and like just exchanged and um and it just really was very fruitful and we really just saw that we have we share a vision and then it just really made a lot of sense um for us to you know to give them this position which is also like a very symbiotic uh work flow constantly very organic and like very and exchange, constant exchange yeah yeah like 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 a third cat that joins the <laughs> the circle with a ball nicholas you also paint and do collage work and fashion adjacent stuff right a little bit um yeah i mean i i paint my own clothes and <laughs> and, and, and and i and i do do painting yeah my work is mostly about um hiv um awareness and uh yeah i just i i want to use it's more like a yeah just a a medium to convey like a certain message Mm -hmm. in in that sense and i i used to study art history and i used to always be into the into the traditional arts so i don't know the pandemic gave me the time and the headspace to to fully dive into that and i'm like yeah, currently working on some projects. <laughs> My understanding of collage is that it like historically has been used in queer art making as a way to destroy and redefine like heteronormative signs and symbols and to make new like recontextualized pieces about queer identity. And I'm thinking specifically about like David Wojnarowicz and what he was doing around uh, the HIV epidemic in, in the 80s in New York. Do you consciously think about this practice in in your in the artwork that you put out individually and also as 
parents on a collective. Of course. Everything that we've always done was exactly that. I mean, the name for the party itself is that. It's a total reconstruction. The symbol of the party is a total reconstruction. Yeah. Cutting up things. I mean, also, we were like quite inspired, obviously, by, by Burroughs and Brian Gizzen, who invented sort of the cut-up technique, just re reimagining and giving something a new purpose and meaning which is exactly what a dj does what a dj does too exactly so do you consider your dj sets more of like a, a work in collage instead of just like dj or you know mixing one track into another <laughs> i mean you want to you can make it sound really pretentious <laughs> and be like i'm an artist <laughs> in the end of the day i think that's what every dj does yeah let me give you a talk on why i let tracks play the entirety <laughs> and my <laughs> the art of dj yeah. i know that heron sauna has made some made use of some rather provocative visual references for example and you'll have to correct me if i'm wrong um this collection that you made in collaboration with carhartt used this typeface modeled after 15th century religious manuscript. And I know that you've referenced the image of St. Sebastian, who's kind of, quote, the, the saint of the queers, and he's come to be iconographically associated with AIDS and the Black Plague. Can you tell me a little bit about the decision-making behind these visual choices? Maybe also, like, how you thought about that design collaboration with Carhartt? Well, I mean, they're, like comes again the, the art history uh, background of mine uh, i always had this fascination for saint sebastian especially for like for these reasons and when i became hiv positive then of course it had a deeper meaning and especially during the pandemic i started to research a lot about where the virus came from how did it spread from monkeys on humans and it is essentially like at least that's what my research has uh, brought through the surface, um, a man, man-made disease to a degree. Uh, it wouldn't have needed to spread from monkeys to humans. The reasons for that were greed and uh, the, the the striving for power. And uh, so all of these things became quite aware to me during the pandemic because, of course, there was another virus. What does it mean to have a virus? How are we being people being treated all of a sudden what are governments actually doing to combat a virus now that not only a certain minority is affected by it and so like you know that led me to spiral a lot on <laughs> around that that topic which is also you know one of the reasons why we have a lot of spirals in our works uh we took that very literal uh and that yeah uh, i just wanted to put that into like a visual language and then i, I told all my ideas to tomorrow does uh, the sacrificial lamp which is the Saint Sebastian was also sort of a little notch to like the the club culture that had been sacrificed sort of during the pandemic, yeah, I mean, which was also a little funny thing on the side. And um, and yeah, we wanted to kind of um, give this idea that after the pandemic we would sort of roar and kind of become a better like a phoenix, yeah, sort of. Nodding to the roaring 20s after mm. after the First World War. In an interview that you did with Document Journal, I think this was in 2020, you said that you thought the post-pandemic scene would, quote, resurrect as an earlier version of itself, something more akin in spirit to Berlin nightlife in the 90s than in the 2010s. 
Do you think that that has come to pass and why or why not? That's a good question. Maybe not necessarily in Berlin, but I feel at least personally for us, it is definitely happening, but on a maybe global scale. What is better? I think um, I think we are just, maybe it's also just because we're getting older, yeah. but things just become more clear all of a sudden, you know, and the pandemic was definitely a dark time to a degree at some point. It was also a really freeing and eye-opening time, but at the same time, you know, it was also a very draining time for everyone, at least at some point. And I think we've all gone through this and now we are re-emerging, although not all of us are re-emerging, but we can only talk about ourselves. Yeah. I mean, yeah, probably in connection to club culture, it's, it's a bit difficult to say. It's a bit difficult to say, definitely like, you know, but personally, it definitely came true. I mean, yeah. And the thing is, a lot of like the older, um, maybe also gatekeeping institutions kind of broke away. Yeah. And maybe it was also time for them to break away, you know. Uh, and it definitely opened the stage for a lot of new people and a lot of new ideas. And I think we have not yet seen the full potential of the seeds that have been planted in that time, you know, because it's just too early. But... It's just, you know, always exciting what the future is going to bring. Do you feel any trepidation, I guess, about the the extinction of the scene in Berlin just as spaces have become more and more inaccessible and as the demographic here has changed so much over the last couple of years? Definitely. It's definitely changing and... I mean, what are we gonna, what are we talking about? Like, uh, it was always better in the past. Everyone says that, you know, like it doesn't matter what happened in the past. It was always cooler before or it was, it's never again what it was like. So I think whether there was a pandemic happening or whether gentrification is happening, that it was what always has been happening. And uh, we can mourn for El Dorado in the 1920s uh, on, um, <clears throat> in Schöneberg, or we can mourn for uh, Chris Müller. You moved into a residency at Trezor and you're putting on parties at like bigger and bigger clubs. How do you grow the party and open it to more people while remaining true to your original fan base and your core audience? Like, do you feel like you're losing control of the mission or like the original spirit and ethos of the party at all? Oh, it's just changing. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I mean, you know, we just touch much more people all over the world and we get such incredibly positive feedback from them from them and we see like the happiness in people's faces and like just the energy that they create their bodies when they dance in in the club and that is exactly how it has always been that has not changed a single bit and just to see it like with more and more people just touches you much more like inside because you really you know you realize you're not just playing music like you really manage to bring out a message and like to give people the power to empower themselves because of that and yeah to, to not exclusive but like a bit more of a um like more selected kind of vibe where we were just like really fond of like just a particular um maybe or like like aesthetically maybe we tried to do that for a while because yeah. we're also growing you know but at some point we realized that's really not what it's about that's not what it's about it's about really like 
giving also people that maybe not that haven't had this these coming out experiences or haven't had the um, possibility to like think about their identities and then to invite those people in to let give them space give anyone basically the space that is respect respectful enough to let anyone else around them be themselves discover themselves you know and that i think that idea opened up the doors to many more people and now that we go and do the parties in places in the world where such events are not that accessible or maybe have not even taken place that much yet you know um It really means a lot to people, and we see that in the in the messages that, that we get all the time. You know how happy people are, and it's just like, wow, I can't wait to be there or there because I already, I already sense, you know, all this uh, like love and excitement, yeah. and then it, you know, it's like a kind of a confirmation to be on the right path, and uh, yeah. Even though things expand and things get bigger, and maybe people from the outside judge, but we know that what we do is yeah, right. We we just live our own truth, like yeah. unapologetically, and that I is the only truth. That spirit will always transpire, yeah. you know. So, are you intentionally choosing locations to throw your parties where you feel that there isn't? as much queer representation sometimes we're also invited by non-queer collectives you know now for example we've been invited to to play in, uh, uh, the like um, art film festival in kosovo and that is really exciting and uh, um, i don't know too much about the queer scene in kosovo but <laughs> i can imagine that um, it's going to be them definitely going to make an impact On, on certain people that were coming and that that's beautiful like the flat by um the party in kazakhstan nazira it was so beautiful to see what they had built up and to be received so warmly and then to see also this just very free atmosphere that they told us is not that usual it's just really empowering also for us and for the people that are there and feel free to express themselves and yeah uh, Those are the special ones. What role do parties and platforms like Hair and Sana play in inciting these shifts in the culture and in the zeitgeist? Like, do you do you see what you're doing as activism in some form? I mean, um, it's hard. I don't want to like seem like you know just to be too pretentious about it. But um, I think in I think in a world where people don't believe in themselves, just by believing in yourself, you're already an activist. Yeah. And I think that is what gives power to the people to realize their own powers that they already have. They don't need you, but sometimes you know, sometimes a little catalyst is is yeah. is good. Since you started in 2016, how has the climate for queer people? changed since you started throwing parties and i'm i'm thinking specifically about a comment you made in an interview a few years ago about how social media has really actually like encouraged positive change contrary to the negative effects it's had on some other areas of the music industry but i didn't know if you had any any other like thoughts or observations 
I mean, it's expanding still. I mean, it's still like uh, we can just see. I mean, just like just like what we just mentioned, Co Kosovo and Almaty. I mean, look at it. What they're, they're putting up queer raves now, yeah. and that definitely didn't happen a few years ago. Now it happens. Inside. Yeah, not holding back, you know, not not to be ashamed of anything, and I think that's just being real. That's what is. That's what gives people the the courage to be real themselves, and it's happening more and more. And it's like, yeah, it's just a this stigma towards being queer is slowly fading in more and more places. I mean, then you're, of course, maybe danger of being co totally capitalized on, you know, which is sort of the downside of it when you see, suddenly see everyone that wants to just make some money off of that. But we live in capital. I know we are. And if it, if it, like, you know, capitalism is happening in any, any way, if this way at least it happens and also conveys a positive message, it's not so bad in the end. We have to make some sacrifices. So you've witnessed a huge evolution, obviously, since you first started. Um, where do you hope to see the Heronsana project go from here? I would hope for um, the label become a bit more, um, bit more of a household name, a bit more of a potential interdisciplinary platform, and f to discover our full own full potential also in the process of all of that. And I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna focus on like a few events in Berlin, and like really just make sure that those are our like main um, main efforts in Berlin within Berlin, more spread out through the year. Were you ever expecting that Heronsana would become what it is, or did you have any aspirations for it to become what it is? Things come. Yeah, just always have an open eye and an open heart. <laughs> so far, this has got us uh, quite far, and um, that's also why, you know, it's hard to think to put things in words. But other people have said things like that about us, but I didn't believe them, or maybe I believed them, but I didn't fully understand what they meant. Now, slowly, it starts to make sense. But yeah, no, I mean, we clearly didn't expect. I mean, in a way, we must have always expected it because otherwise we wouldn't have full-heartedly done what we did. But uh, but only now things start to become clear. It never came from a beat that was planted. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even, we were not even aware of, of it, you know. That's, 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 that's the beauty of it. So aside from Wire Festival in New York, what else do you have planned in terms of like international takeovers coming up? Wait, can I pull out my calendar? I'm yeah, really bad at this. I don't know what is confirmed and what, what, what am I allowed to talk about? <laughs> right. Um, Which is a really commercial <laughs> festival. Yeah. yeah, but it's also cool because I know Sigurd since I'm a teenager. You know, like all the the punks, the the, 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 the bands, the bands that I the bands that I admired when I was a teenager and when I shaped my musical taste, my individual musical taste. You know, they played at Sigurd and I always wanted to go. I never made it. Now they invited me <laughs> together with my best friends. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's still something that I'm proud of or looking forward to at least, you know. And then um, <laughs> we're doing, um, we're, we're doing, we're hosting like a, a night thing for a deck mantle. Mm. 
which uh, we're excited about. Then I'm hosting a stage at this uh, um, film document. Yeah, DocuFashion, which is also pretty exciting. It's also going to take place in summer sometime. So what exactly? You're not just doing music there. You're also doing... No, I mean we're doing a, we're doing one of the after show parties for them. Right. Yeah. That's like that's the main thing. And then of course, I mean we have our own events in Berlin. We have the one uh on the we have like two like two two night weekends kind of things. Weekenders. Two weekenders in May in May, May thirteen and fourteen. And then for Pride, of course, like we do every year. The RSO in July twenty second and twenty third and um kind of yeah. Out of curiosity, how is it different? throwing these parties in like in other cities versus playing in Berlin like does it is the energy really different is the vibe really different of course I mean in Berlin all our friends are there I miss it you know we're doing it so much in other cities and then in Berlin I can also relax I know I don't have to take a flight afterwards I can just stay and hang out and like be with the people that I love uh, like more of them at the same place in the same time you know you both pursue like music and art projects. Is that hard to balance with touring every weekend? Yes, of course. it is. <laughs> but I'm not going to complain on camera. <laughs> I do love DJing. I just we um, just don't sleep. We have to. Yeah, we have to learn to say no sometimes. That's why we're taking off a weekend a month. <laughs> which which weekend are you talking about? <laughs> able to keep it up i've been able to keep it up you know obviously there are always some interesting offers that come in but um if you really need to uh, if you want to prioritize other projects that's like yeah, it's, essential. It's, it's 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 essential because it does take a lot of energy my astrology apps can confirm that yeah sometimes saying no is an even bigger of, yes the power of saying no is like the best <laughs> lesson i learned and i'm still learning is there anything else I missed or that you want to talk about that I didn't bring up? My own self-promotion. Go for it. Should I go for it? I have uh, an album coming up. But not on Heron's. Um It's actually on Avian. I love the stuff that Guy's putting out. Um, and it's uh, basically the soundtrack for the art performance we did in Volksbühne that Mauro um, directed and Kiani was... Um, um, movement director for it and that sound is coming out as a as an album i mean i put out um a release on psychic liberation just a few months ago that was like a collection of works for um other performances and sound installations and um yeah that part of that realm of music and electronic music and electroacoustic stuff was always like um, something I've always been interested in and yeah the pandemic really uh, got me to like dig deep into it it's like like how you're this pandemic was just wow mind-blowing <laughs> we can feed of it for a while Although, what were we talking about yesterday <clears throat> another lockdown would also not be the end of the world <laughs> please yeah are you also producing music no, um, not, I have ideas and I work, yeah, I want to do stuff, I'm going to be working. The thing is, I, I mean, I used to do like kind of like really DIY electro clash when I was yeah. in my early 20s. That's oh my God, I wish for this shit to be released like in 10 years or something, you will 
It's fantastic. It's Electro Clash in its purest form. It's, so it's, it's, so very, it's very pitchy. It's very punk. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm like now I really feel like the urge to go back into that. And since I'm so many friends of mine are really good producers, I'm, I'm going to hit the studio again more and like, you know, just tuck them over until they <laughs> start doing what I want. <laughs> That's a clean. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, I'll see you in New York. Thank you for listening to the RA Exchange with Heron Sana. Well, I'll be at Wire Festival in New York next weekend, where I'll be moderating a couple of talks, and Heron Sana will be curating a lineup. So come by to say hi if you're in town. If you liked what you heard on this episode, leave us a review and a rating and subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on everything we have coming out. If you have ideas for people you'd like to have interviewed on the exchange or stories you'd like to hear, please send an email to exchange at ra.co. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.